Well, she is an administrator for Women's Writing in the West, a national's women's writing group, and is the author of many books. She will speak today on Justina Ford, Medical Pioneer. Thank you. In the early 1900s, there was just a small handful of African-American physicians in Colorado and another small handful of female physicians in Colorado. And there was only one African-American female physician in Colorado. So uh, what I'm going to share with you today is the story of the perseverance of a young lady who became that sole female African-American doctor in Colorado and set a high standard for other doctors in Colorado. If you will, uh, consider a young African-American woman arriving in the, the wild and woolly town of Denver in 1902 and approaching the medical licensing clerk and saying, I would like to purchase a license to practice medicine in Colorado. And he took one look at her, and he said, Ma'am, I feel like I should not take your $5. It would be a waste of your money. For You have two strikes against you. First of all, you're a woman, and second of all, you're colored, as if she didn't know these things. <laughs> and she said, I've thought it all through, and this is the place I want to practice medicine. And that's what she did even though he said, what chance would you have of practicing medicine in Colorado? As a young woman, Justina Warren grew up in Illinois. She was the daughter of a woman who grew up in slavery and became a nurse. So she came by uh, her interest in medicine naturally that way. And so when it came time for Sunday dinner, she was right there because she wanted to dress the chickens and cut them open and see what they look like inside. She also wanted to play hospital with her siblings, but only if she could be the doctor. And that was her start with her interest in medicine. So she worked hard uh, studying in high school at Galesburg High School in central Illinois. Well, southern Illinois. Any, anybody from Illinois knows anything south of Chicago is southern Illinois. So she studied hard at Galesburg High School, took all the hardest classes so that maybe someday she could go to medical school. And she graduated uh, from Galesburg High School. And about that time, she, uh, in 1890 is when she graduated, uh, she was introduced to a visiting minister at the Baptist Church in Galesburg. And they were married. His name was John Ford, and so they were married, and he lived in Chicago, Illinois. And uh, this is their marriage license, front and back side. Uh, the only thing unusual about it, well, first of all, it was kind of a, a rare find, which was a good thing for a researcher writing a biography, but also he fudged a little bit on age, which was not unusual for the time, but he was 10 years older than she was, and so he shaved a couple of years off at that time, might have made him more attractive to her. Now, <laughs> what was interesting also is um, I wonder if uh, her marriage to Reverend Ford and her move to Chicago might have been part of her plan as far as entering medical school because they did go to Chicago, Illinois where they were, were lived in a boarding house on State Street 
and she enrolled in Herring Medical School, which was a homeopathic college, which existed for a little over 20 years in the Chicago area. And she did graduate from medical school in 1899. Oh, he, he's, their age difference is now 10 years on the 1900 census. He was a clergyman and she was a physician in the occupation line. So they moved briefly to uh, Normal, Alabama, where she was a physician at the Agricultural College there. But then he became the minister of the Zion Baptist Church in Denver, Colorado, which was the oldest African-American Baptist church in Colorado. She, uh, of course, came with him and started living the dual role of trying to start a medical practice and being the minister's wife. So her only uh, photo in the newspaper at the time, or at least that I could find, shows her as the program chairman of the church carnival rather than for her medical skills. The Zion Baptist Church on uh, 29th Street, I believe, yeah, 24th Street in Denver, is still the center of the community in the Five Points neighborhood in Denver. So when she went in to apply for a medical license, she got the stern warning from the clerk, and she went ahead and said, this is the place I want to practice medicine. And she would later say to people, when I arrived in, the, in Colorado, I was there soon enough to help them build Pikes Peak, and that's almost the truth. <laughs> she had many little tongue-in-cheek answers to questions, which leads me to believe she had a very lively sense of humor and a twinkle in her eye most of the time. But this particular document was precious to her and served her well over the next half century. The requirements to practice medicine in a hospital in Colorado precluded her, however. She was not a member of the Colorado Medical Association, nor the American Medical Association, which required membership in the state organization. However, she did have a Colorado medical license once she was able to obtain this certificate. So because of race and gender, and she said, I fought like a tiger against those things throughout my life, uh, she was not legally allowed to practice medicine in hospitals in Colorado. This is the backside of her medical license. What it says is that Justina Lorena Ford, being duly sworn, deposes and says that he, and so on and so forth, him, there is no uh, space here for a woman who might be applying for a medical license. She was listed, however, in the American Medical Association directory, which I found puzzling until I looked a little further and, and found out that you were allowed listing in the American Medical Association directory if you had a medical license, a medical degree, and were licensed by the state. Justina Ford didn't have any children of her own, but she considered the children she delivered in the neighborhood to be uh, her family. So she delivered over 7,000 babies during the time that she practiced medicine. Uh, not quite as many as uh, Lynn Morton uh, described, but uh, still quite a few. And, and one time she figured out 
that that broke down to about one baby every three days. And that was quite a uh, steady pace of work for her, uh, delivering babies around Denver. And she extended her area around Colorado also, depending on where the need was greatest. Uh, Denver at the time was quite a melting pot. There were people from all different uh, countries that came to Denver to work on the railroad and in the mines. It turned out to be somewhat of an advantage to not work in the Denver General Hospital and other hospitals in the area. This is a picture of the children's ward in Denver General Hospital in 1907. Uh, as you can see, the beds were lined up with patients with all different disorders. It was elite in a way because people of different backgrounds weren't necessarily allowed into the hospital, but many of them did not wish to go to the hospital. They distrusted them, they couldn't afford them, and they couldn't communicate with them. Fortunately, Dr. Ford was a very good listener. She picked up the dialects and portions of at least eight different languages. So she made house calls. Now, uh, as her uh, as her work progressed, uh, she found herself on her own in that she and Reverend Ford were divorced in 1915. He took on a church in Florida and decided to move there. And she was very dedicated to her practice in Colorado and decided not to move to Florida. So she stayed and he left and they parted ways. So she continued to be the lady doctor in Colorado making house calls. And since uh, uh, automobiles had become an accepted mode of transportation then, she embraced that. She loved cars and she loved fast cars. And she never uh, got a driver's license herself, but she would hire somebody to chauffeur her or else she would call the cab company and she would say, this is Justina Ford and that's all she had to say. She said, they all knew me and the, uh, the car would show up at my door and people would see the black car come through the neighborhood and they would know Dr. Ford was off to deliver another baby. A few years later, uh, Dr. Ford uh, had a new husband named Alfred Allen. He, was, he showed up in city directories as a chauffeur, as a cook. It seemed like every year his occupation changed. Well, I think he fulfilled all those roles in her household. He took care of the house. They uh, kept a boarder. Somebody would board a room in their house, and he would take care of the household. He built shelves for her. He drove her car. He cooked her food and allowed her to really embrace her occupation as a physician. She very rarely used the last name Allen. This is one of the few times you will see uh, about halfway down, uh, you see Alfred Allen and then Justina under it without the, the name Ford there. But she, uh, for the most part, hung on to the name Ford because that was the name that was on her precious medical license, and she didn't want to jostle that or, or to uh, have that be any kind of an issue. So uh, as she got on later in life, she started getting recognition for a lot of her work. She had uh, 
practiced medicine for close to a half century when she got toward the, the end of her career. And uh, people started recognizing her for her work. So um, the American Medical Association finally accepted her. The Colorado Medical Association finally accepted her. The Cosmopolitan Club in Denver gave her an award, and that's what this picture is. She's in, accepting an award. But also, toward the end of uh, her life, people started interviewing her. And uh, instead of us being able to uh, see a lot of material during her career, uh, there's a lot of retrospective uh, material. And in one particularly telling uh, interview with a reporter, when she was uh, close to 80 years old, she said that she was um, delivering a baby for a friend of hers, and she had delivered several babies for this friend, uh, a longtime client. And as they were discussing how things had changed, she said, well, this one will be of a generation that will really see opportunity. I won't see the day. You may, and this one certainly will. My people will come up from the South when all the fears, hate, and even some death is over. And we will really be brothers as God intended us to be in this land. This I believe. For this I have worked all my life. So fortunately, she was able to feel a lot of satisfaction about the work she had done and was starting to get some recognition for it toward the end of her life. And she worked right up to the end of her life also. Her, her sight uh, became more difficult, but she continued to deliver babies and people would say, well, uh, I have no problem with her continuing to work because uh, she wouldn't show up unless she felt she could do the job. Justina Ford died in 1952 at the age of 81. Even after death, she was a little bit elusive because she was a little hard to find when I went to Fairmount Cemetery looking for her. It's a good thing it was winter or that bush would have been flowered out and I never would have found her. So I was able to push it aside. Uh, the headstone says Justina L. Ford Allen, MD, 1952. And of course what you have to realize with headstones is that it's not the person who died who usually uh, makes the wording on the headstones, it's the survivor. So her husband, Alf Allen, who by the way was uh, something like 15 or 18 years younger than she was, uh, uh, chose the wording on the headstone. One of her legacies that's really uh, very important is her house. She uh, and her hus first husband, Reverend Ford, bought a house that first showed up on the 1908 city directory on Arapahoe Street in Denver, and that's where she set up her uh, examining room and saw clients and customers and that sort of thing. So when they were about to tear it down to put in a parking lot, some uh, forward-thinking businessmen decided that the house had a historical value and they would try and save it. So they approached Historic Denver, who gave them a grant, and they were able to move the house a mile and a half through the streets of downtown Denver to its present location on California Street in Denver. The house is now the home of the Black American West Museum, which is a wonderful little museum about African Americans in Colorado. They have Dr. Ford's examining room as it was, so that's a place that you can visit and actually see the examining room as it was in the exact house that she used to greet her customers. 
The Ford Warren branch of the Denver Public Library was named after her. And inside that library, they have her desk. This is where her appointments were taken and all her decisions were made. There's a wonderful statue, a bronze statue, of Dr. Ford holding a baby. Uh, it's across the street from her house, as you can see over the shoulder there. The house in the background is Dr. Ford's actual house. And this uh, statue was dedicated in 1998, I believe. And in 1989, the Colorado Medical Society finally gave her an award also. They called her the Medical Pioneer of Colorado, stating that she was an outstanding figure in the development and furtherance of healthcare in Colorado. So she really got the recognition that she deserved toward the end of her life. At the advanced age of 80, the spunky, young, the spunky woman doctor told a reporter, let me tell you about my hobby, she said. I like to ride 90 miles an hour in an ambulance. That to me is good fun. And that to me is Justina Ford. Thank you. This is Bob Hoff. <laughs> He's a graduate of the University of Dayton, Ohio. Mr. Hoff has enjoyed a professional career as a real estate marketer in first Cincinnati in the last 27 years in Colorado Springs. He's an amateur historian whose interests range from the medical history of the Colorado Springs region to the Civil War, and a co-author of a book, History of Healthcare in the Pikes Peak Region, published in 2005, currently working on a book on the Civil War, Tooper, by Dr. Boswell P. Anderson, MD. Thank you. Um, I'd like you all to bear with me a little bit. Um, I've only done this about a hundred times, but I get nervous every time. By the time I'm done, I'll be telling jokes and ordering pizza. So hang in there and I'll do my best. The, uh, the grave marker in Evergreen Cemetery uh, reads Boswell P. Anderson, MD, 43rd Battalion, CSA. Uh, odd, is it not, uh, the way that Boswell Anderson chose to uh, uh, memorialize himself and uh, his service in, uh, in the Confederate uh, cavalry? Um, he, uh, he had many accomplishments in, uh, in Colorado Springs, but uh, he remembered... Uh, he remembered uh, a desperate existence, uh, an existence where uh, he was often tired, ragged, um, often hungry, and uh, almost every day in uh, danger of his life. So uh, I, guess, uh, I guess what happened is he remembered the, uh, he remembered the attack on the Yankee camp at dawn, uh, the clash of steel, shots and shouts and uh, comrades uh, killed at his side. Boswell was wounded uh, in the war. We're not sure where. It may have been along the Little River Turnpike uh, between Alexandria, Virginia, and, uh, and uh, Winchester, Virginia, or 
It may have been in the fall of uh, 1864 at Overall Creek, Virginia, when, uh, when uh, Company D, 43rd Virginia, fought an engagement on my great-great-grandfather's farm. Uh, it, was a, uh, it was a heady experience for uh, a young man of 18, and uh, it's something that stayed with him all his life. Uh, he chose, uh, he chose uh, to remember that uh, when it came time to mark his tombstone. Boswell uh, was wounded in the chest. He, uh, he knew that the Yankee bullet had, uh, had affected him with tuberculosis, but he didn't, know, he didn't know if the trauma had caused an already existing case of tuberculosis to become active. Uh, the doctors had probed uh, for the bullet, never were able to extract it, but uh, uh, he wondered if possibly the uh, instrument that they had used had been used on a tubercular uh, before it was used on him. Uh, some of the muskets in the Civil War uh, utilized a loading technique which uh, caused the user to hold the bullet or bullets in his mouth and while he loaded the musket and put the powder down the barrel. And he wondered if, uh, if that bullet had been handled so by a uh, tubercular. He was never to know. He had a full and satisfying life in Colorado Springs. Uh, he was a founder of the Glockner Sanatorium and the first medical director there. He was a founder of St. Francis Hospital and the first medical director there. He, um, he was the first medical director of Midland Hospital and the medical director there. After the war, he uh, attended the University of Virginia, got some medical training there, and went on to Washington Medical College in Baltimore, uh, soon to be Johns Hopkins. He came to Colorado Springs in 1872 to be the house physician at the Manitou Bath House and Plunge. This was not such a um, menial job as it may seem t uh, today. Uh, tourists and invalids from all over the country came to uh, Manitou to drink the waters and to bathe in the medicinal springs, and surely it led a, uh, an air of authenticity to have a medical doctor on the premises. He married uh, Sarah Durkee of St. Louis in 1878, and he, made a, uh, he, he acquired another partner in 1879. Uh, this partner was not so uh, fortuitous. It was Sam Irwin Solly, who uh, was a promoter of uh, Colorado Springs and a promoter of, uh, of uh, Manitou and the founder of the Cragmore Sanatorium. But Sam was not well regarded in the uh, medical community in Colorado Springs, and he and Boswell Anderson differed as to how uh, they were to practice medicine. Uh, so the partnership broke up, and the years 1880 through 1883 were the years that the locusts ate for, uh, for uh, Boswell Anderson and for Sarah Anderson. They lost three children. Sam was ill. I'm sorry. Boswell was ill, and uh, Sarah was ill. Sometime about 1884, however, 
they had turned the sharp corner of their lives and uh, life would be better for them now. He met uh, and, and acquired a patient, Albert Glockner, and another patient, Edmiston Gwynn, and uh, he lived about a block from the, uh, from the Gwynn family, and uh, they all visited back and forth, and nature took its course, and uh, Albert Glockner married Marie Gwynn. It was to be a short marriage. Uh, Albert Glockner died in uh, 1887, and uh, Edmiston Gwynn uh, just before him. Uh, Marie and Albert had talked about the founding of a, uh, of a clinic for uh, the poor and the, those of moderate means in Colorado Springs, and uh, Marie determined in concert with the Glockner family and, uh, and the Gwynn family and with Dr. Anderson lending a hand and encouragement to found a clinic. And in 1889, the Glockner Sanatorium rose in the woods way out of town. The Glockner was a, uh, an artistic success, but it was not a financial success. At the end of three years, Marie Gwynn had had to make up a, uh, had had to make up a deficit uh, all three of those years. Uh, something had to be done, and the something uh, became the Sisters of Charity in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, she offered to give the Glockner to them if they would keep the name and to, um, and to absorb a deficit of $7,000. The sisters came, they talked to Dr. Anderson, and, um, and the transition was made. It was not a happy transition. A sister Fidelis was sent to be the administrator and she and Boswell Anderson quarreled. It was never difficult to quarrel with Dr. Anderson. Um, and I suppose that, uh, that sister Fidelis was under pressure to turn the Glockner around. It was probably easy enough to quarrel with her too. At any rate, uh, Dr. Anderson pulled all his patients from the hospital and uh, several other doctors did too, and uh, something had to be done again with the Glockner, and the something uh, became Sister Rose Alexius. She was a whirlwind. She soothed Dr. Anderson. Uh, she made friends with uh, General Palmer, and she made friends with the movers and shakers in the city, and she turned the Glockner around and brought it to financial stability. Uh, if ever Colorado Springs had a candidate for sainthood, it was Sister Rose. She saved the Glockner. The Midland Hospital was uh, an idea of the Midland Railroad. Um, and in 1887, they bought two small adobe houses at 117 West Colorado Avenue and um, hired Dr. Anderson to be... Uh, the medical director. No sooner, and, and Dr. Anderson then hired four nurses from, uh, hired, hired is probably too strong a word, he enticed four nurses from uh, the Sisters of St. Francis in Lafayette, Indiana to come uh, to serve on their staff. No sooner had they arrived than there was a terrible accident on the Midland and uh, many of the injured were sent to uh, the Midland uh, for treatment. 
Dr. Anderson and the sisters labored valiantly, but after the crisis was over, they soon, they were sure that this was not going to be adequate. The sisters purchased a site on uh, East Pikes Peak above Shook's Run for $340. And uh, they went to the uh, community for support, and the community supported them. And St. Francis arose on the hill, and Dr. Anderson um, uh, became the medical director, off and on. And off and on is the qualifying word. Because you see, Dr. Anderson loved to pull a cork. And he would, uh, he would quarrel with the sisters, and uh, then he would resign, and they would ask him back, and then they would fire him, and he would ask to be taken back. And uh, this went on well into the uh, 1900s. Dr. Anderson uh, passed on in uh, 1919, and the staff at the Glockner uh, commissioned a bronze plaque, a large bronze plaque, to be hung in the lobby of the Glockner Sanatorium. Uh, that plaque uh, disappeared somewhere in the many uh, years of remodeling and remodeling and remodeling of the Glockner and of the uh, Penrose. And um, one of our earlier uh, panelists, uh, Lynn Morton, dug that um, plaque out of the uh, maintenance shop at uh, Penrose, covered with sawdust. Uh, Lynn, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, one hopes that that uh, plaque will be hung again in uh, Penrose Hospital and in the main lobby rather than in one of the subsidiary locations. Boswell Anderson was most uh, certainly an original. Um, it is doubtful that uh, we'll see his like again in this homogenized and pasteurized world that we live in. And uh, he, you don't have to look very far uh, to see the legacy that he left with uh, St. Francis Hospital and uh, with Penrose Hospital. Thank you.